Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you guys want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to pick up where we left off before we left off at verse 17. We're picking up at verse 18. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. And uh, I really entitled this message, Mount Sinai or Mount Zion. So Mount Sinai or Mount Zion. Uh, so picking it up at verse 18 of chapter 12, the writer says this, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling." Notice in verse 18, the very first word of that, of that verse is for. That word for is a connecting verse. It connects what the writer is speaking about now to what he has just spoken about before. What did he just finish speaking about? He just finished speaking about Esau. Esau. <laughs> we, we were talking about Esau's story. And so the story of Esau, there's some application that the writer now is wanting to convey to his readers. And so he says, for, for you have not come to the mountain, the mountain. Uh, I'm a little behind myself there. <laughs> The mountain. What mountain is the mountain? Well, he's referring to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai in the wilderness was where the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai, and that's where they received the Ten Commandments. That's where God met the children of Israel there on the mountain. That's where the old covenant was established. And that's where Israel, the children of Israel, really became a nation at that point there at Mount Sinai. So he mentions that you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. That may be touched. What he's referring to is the fact that Mount Sinai was a literal physical mountain there in the wilderness. Of course, we don't really know exactly which mountain is Mount Sinai, but um, I'm sure if there's a tourist shop, that's probably that's where it's at. But, you know, you could go out there if you knew where Mount Sinai was. And I'm assuming people have said this is Mount Sinai. Um, you could actually go to that mountain. It's a physical, tangible mountain that you could literally step your foot on. So Mount Sinai to, for the children of Israel, it could be apprehended through the sense of touch. They could actually go up to the mountain. Well, they couldn't, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But theoretically, they could touch the mountain. So Mount Sinai could be apprehended through the sense of touch. And he says, and that burned with fire into blackness, tempest, excuse me, darkness and tempest. Now, if you were to read Exodus chapter 9, that kind of gives us a little more detail about that. But cha chapter uh, 19 in Exodus, um, it's when the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai and were told there in, in Exodus 19 that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And 
Moses says Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So not only could Mount Sinai be touched physically, but it also could be apprehended through the sense of vision. And for the children of Israel, man, what a vision they had. You know, the, the, the mountain's on fire. It's smoking, and there's just, just a, like a storm right above the mountain. And then it also says that the sound, that mentions the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. And we go back to Exodus 19. It says, and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. So not only was it tangible, you could actually walk up and touch the mountain. Not only could you see the amazing presence of God there on the mountain, but the sense of hearing. You could apprehend Mount Sinai with the hearing. It was so amazingly loud and tremendous. In fact, we're told that, that the people trembled so much because it was just an awful, and I don't mean bad awful, but I mean just an awe-inspiring uh, uh, vision that they had there. And so the giving of the law and the inauguration of the Old Covenant, it could be experienced through the natural senses for the children of Israel. In other words, through the flesh. I mean, they could see it, they could touch it, they could hear it, they could probably even smell it. I mean, the smell of smoke. I mean, they had all their senses was they could see it meant God's here on the mountain. Now, don't miss the connection here. Because remember he said, he's talking about Esau earlier. Esau sold his birthright for something that appealed to the physical senses. I mean, he was famished. His stomach's growling. He'd been out in the field all day hunting or whatever. Maybe he didn't catch anything or shoot anything, whatever. He came back from the field, man, he's famished. In fact, he's like, I'm going to die. I don't know if you ever felt that way. I feel that way sometimes, usually in between my three meals a day. I'm like, I'm going to die. I've got to eat something. Where are the Twinkies? No, <laughs> I haven't had those since high school, so anyways. But he was probably famished. And he probably saw this pot of stew, whatever it was, that his brother was cooking. He probably smelled it before he could see it. He's probably walking back, and there's the aroma. You know, we have a, in our house, we have a vent that goes into the backyard, uh, to the back of our house from our oven. Uh, in, in our kitchen and I actually installed it because when we bought the place it didn't have a vent so we installed a vent and uh, man I tell you there's sometimes I'm out there working on the car or out in the backyard and it's like oh man Teresa's frying bacon or something it's like oh it's like I go in the house what are you cooking you know well I can imagine Esau's out in the field and what is that smell and he's starving and he comes in so he could smell it and then he could see it and he could probably, he's probably salivating. He could probably taste it in his mind, man. Oh, man, I got to try some of Jacob's stew, man. That guy's a good cook. The recipients of this epistle, remember this is written to Hebrew Christians. They were ready to exchange their spiritual birthright for something that they could see, something that they could experience in the flesh, the old covenant. Because remember, the temple was still standing when this epistle was written. So that maybe, their, maybe their relatives, if they were the only Christian in their family, maybe their relatives were still going to the temple. They probably still went to the temple for festivals. They probably did until the persecution got too bad and then they couldn't. 
think about the Old Testament, though, the, the Old Covenant, the sacrifices. Talk about a sensory experience. There'd be the priests blowing the trumpets. There'd be the smoke from the, from the, from the, from the uh, burnt offering, the burnt altar, but also the smoke of the incense. All these things that would be, you know, the sights, the sounds, and the smells of worship. You know, you know what I'm talking about? They, they would come, it's like, man, and now they're walking by faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It just doesn't feel the same. I don't feel like I'm worshiping God. You know, look at all the pomp and circumstance. What a difference. And so the temptation for these Hebrew believers was to go back to what they could experience in the flesh. And, you know, we do that ourselves when we worship. We desire physical experience in our flesh today. In fact, today's worship and I'm not down on any church or anything, but there is a move towards experiential worship. I want to experience, because then I really feel like I'm worshiping the Lord. You know, if we dim the lights, get it nice and dark in here, so it's just the mood's right, you know, and, and then we get a little, some little smoke, and, you know, just so it seems like we're on Mount Sinai, you know, there's just the smoke's rising. And, 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 then, and then there's the sound, and, the, you know, maybe we burn a little incense here, and there's some people just feel like they're worshiping the Lord. Listen, that appeals to the flesh. I, I, I like to be an experience like, oh, man, I feel like I'm worshiping. I feel like I'm connected with God. And so we create the atmosphere. And I, I, again, I, I don't want to be down on anybody in particular, but you know, a lot of worship songs today are written to appeal to how I feel. Man, Jesus makes me feel like, you know, I feel so warm and comfy when I'm around my Savior. You know, it's just how do I feel? So songs are written to appeal to how we feel. They're performed in a way to evoke feeling. Messages, it's not just the worship too. It's the messages, the teachings, preachings, whatever you want to call it. They're designed frequently to evoke a response. Maybe it's a motivational response, you know. I want to make you feel good about yourself. So I want to talk about sin. I want to just, I want everybody to leave feeling good, like I connected with them. Or, or maybe it's to manipulate, you know. Man, I tell you, the church fund's really low. I got to do a teaching on tithing. So, man, we really got to manipulate. You know, messages are, are done that way. It appeals to the flesh. There's a desire to maybe even to see signs and wonders. I want to go to a church where I'm seeing miracles happen because then I know God's there. You know, sometimes we have worship services and it's some people, I've heard that expression before, man, I really sensed the Lord there because it was so moving. My emotions were really, you know, kicked in or whatever. I know a young woman, she was raised in a Christian home, a Protestant Christian home. And uh, at, when she grew older, she married a, a Catholic, a guy that was Catholic, and she turned to Catholicism. And I was talking to her about it one day, and I'm like, you know, why? And she said the rituals made her feel like she was connecting with God. Because it just feels like I'm worshiping God. So there's this, there's this, there's this desire in the flesh to do that. And the Hebrew believers, man, they're like, man, I want to go, I, I go back to where I feel like I'm worshiping Jehovah. I want to go back to the old covenant. 
And so the writer here is warning him, don't exchange this temporary, this, this experience for the truth. Don't, don't exchange it for your spiritual blessing. They were also, you know, they're thinking about, man, I just want to go back to the old covenant. But what they were forgetting about the old covenant was the weightiness or the glory, which literally means weightiness, of God's physical presence. I want to read this to you and out of Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. See, there's sometimes, man, I want to hear God speak. Well, if God spoke audibly man you would be like i'm dead <laughs> you know don't don't speak anymore i'm so afraid um so the, the children of israel they're forgetting this these hebrew believers man the covenant the old covenant it's not like you could just walk into the holy of holies and worship jesus man it's an awful it's a terrifying it's a it's a very glory weighty experience they were forgetting the weightiness, the glory of God's physical presence. They were also forgetting about his holiness. Exodus 19, verse 12, God told Moses, he said, you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. So, you know, it's, it's like they want, I mean, I want to experience, I want to be able to feel and touch, but man, you can't touch. You can't. Nobody can. Only Moses could go up to the mountain. In fact, God said, if, it's, if so much as an animal touches the base of the mountain, man, you got to kill that animal. An animal, an animal is an innocent animal. You know, it's just an innocent thing. What if your kitty cat went up? You got to kill it. You got to kill it. Any animal. So think about this. An animal that doesn't sin. There, there's no knowledge of sin. There's no, there's no sin nature in an animal. They would be killed if they touched the mountain. How much more would a person who is a sinner be, be like, man, you can't touch that. So it was unapproachable. Some people think that you have not worshipped God unless you leave with a tangible experience. They have to see the miraculous. They have to feel his presence. Well, the children of Israel had a tangible, I mean, they had all the bells and whistles, so to speak, right? They had everything that you could want in worship. Man, I want to I want to hear it. I want to feel it. I want to see it. I want to experience worship. They got it. Did it impact them? How did it impact them? Well, first of all, they were terrified. They were afraid. But it wasn't too many too much longer. In fact, not much more than 40 days later, they were worshiping a gold calf. Well, that experience, it really didn't change them. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 11, we were there a couple weeks ago, verse 13, the writer is kind of summing up all these men and women of faith in chapter 11. Verse 13 says, these all died in faith, uh, <clears throat> not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Man, they, they were looking for their eternal reward. They were, they were looking beyond the immediate, and they were looking by faith to the eternal, to the spiritual. Well, Esau, he didn't believe what he couldn't see. 
And Esau couldn't see the future blessings of being the firstborn, the, the blessings of the firstborn, the birthright. He couldn't see the blessings. All he could see was that stew in front of him. And so he traded what he could see for something that he couldn't see. Now, Mount Sinai, by extension, we're talking about worship under the old covenant. It was physical, but it was also temporary. Going back to Mount Sinai, what the reader's talking about is going back to Judaism for those believers. Going back to Judaism, it would have the same spiritual impact as Moses, or excuse me, as Esau trading his spiritual blessing for something tangible. Well, what would they be exchanging? Well, that's what the reader or the writer or the Hebrews now is, is going into. What, what, you have a choice, Mount Sinai or Mount Zion. Well, what's, what, are we, what are you giving up or what are you exchanging? Well, Mount Sinai uh, is literally Jerusalem. We know that was David's, David's home there. Uh, but in a few years, are we talking about just literal Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, the physical city? Listen, in a few short years after this epistle was written, man, Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple would be completely leveled. So he's not talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the spiritual Mount Zion. Now, some people say, well, that's the church. I think it's literally New Jerusalem, based on the context here, New Jerusalem and heaven, which the Bible says the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What are the spiritual blessings of Mount Zion? Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That's what they were going to exchange. You want to go back to the old covenant? Okay, you can go back to it. It's still standing there for a few more years. Or do you want to look forward to your spiritual blessings, to heaven. Mount Sinai was a temporary stopping place. They didn't, they didn't, the children of Israel didn't like, that's where they're at, Mount Sinai, and we're going to camp out, we're going to be here for the, for the hall, for the long, they were just there for a while, I think about a year or so. From then on, they were traveling again. It was a temporary stopping place, and it was in a dry and barren wilderness, it wouldn't be a nice place to like build your home. Like, I want to have a nice view of Mount Sinai. No, man, it was a desert. I know some people like deserts, but usually around February, people out here are like, we want to go to the Arizona or something. Cause we <laughs> but it was temporary, and it was dry and barren. But Mount Zion, our eternal home, our internal dwelling place, is a fruitful place. In Revelation, we're told that a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. On either side of the river, we're told, was the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in the Garden of Eden? It's going to be there in heaven. The tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Uh, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Fruitfulness as opposed to barren, dry wilderness. 
In Mount Sinai, only Moses was permitted to approach God. And Mount Zion, look how many people, look how many different groups of people that are mentioned here. First of all, there's an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly. You know, in John, uh, John's revelation, in the book of Revelation, John writes this, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a lot. <laughs> Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They're all gathered there worshiping the Lord God. Who else is there? The church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. The church of the firstborn. And Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. But who's the church of the firstborn? It's speaking about you and I, the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. We're the church of the firstborn. James 1 verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So not only is there angels and the, and, and the four living creatures, and, but there's also the church that's going to be there who are registered in heaven. Remember when the disciples... Jesus sent them out to do ministry and, and said, you know, I give you authority over demons and, you know, the healed sickness and diseases and everything. And so they go out two by two and, and man, amazing ministries taking place. And they come back and they're like, man, Lord, even demons are listening to us. They're subject to us. And Jesus said this, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, registered in heaven. Man, I got to ask you and you here and you that are watching, are you registered in heaven? What do you mean? You know, there's nothing worse than showing up to a place that you think you're registered to and you find out you're not registered to. I, that's, I don't know what it is. It, maybe it's because I pronounce my name weird or something. I don't know. I have a difficult name, R-Y-P-S-T-R-A. And so people are like, how do you pronounce it? You know, rapes, rap. I usually say, just say Smith. It's easier, you know. <laughs> I have actually said that to people before, and they're like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, I'm just kidding. It's Ripstra. It's a Dutch name. Anyways, I've shown up at a lot of places where I've put in reservations, and uh, they go, can you say your name again? I don't see in the book here. That's a terrible feeling, and it's happened to me quite a few times. It happened to me just recently. I brought my motorcycle to get some tires in, and the guy said, I, I, you know, I talked to a guy in person and everything, and I, I said, yeah, I had an appointment with him. I dropped the motorcycle off. I come back. I'm like, I'm here to pick up my motorcycle. He's like, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm here. You know, this, it, anyways, they're like, oh, there's two, you're registered under two different names. <laughs> anyways, are you registered in heaven? Well, how do you get registered in heaven? Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
there are people who think that they're going to be standing before the Lord in heaven and they're going to get there and the Lord's going to say, man, I don't even know you. You're not in, I don't have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You're not registered. Jesus said this in Revelation 3, 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed with, uh, shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Listen, being registered is a big deal. Well, how do you get registered? It's really, really simple. It's so simple, it's elementary, my dear Watson. (laughs) First of all, you just have to admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So just admit that you're a sinner. Recognize, man, I'm a failure. Lord God, I'm unholy. I'm sinful. I've been a sinner. I've been born in sin. I'm a sinner. Just admit that you're a sinner. Then believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. Admit, believe, and then finally call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, pray to him. Confess to him. Believe in him. Call out his name. Call out to him. Paul wrote this in Romans 10, verses 8 through 11. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Man, it's pretty easy. Just admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and call out to him. It's so simple to get registered, but you know, it's a very costly registration because it costs Jesus Christ his life. He shed his blood for you and I that we could be registered. So we have the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. They're going to be there at the throne of God. Angels, the four living creatures. We'll also read about the 24 elders, not here in in Hebrews, but it talks about it in Revelation. And God himself says to God, the judge of all. And finally, he also says, or not finally, but he also says the spirits of just men made perfect. I believe he's referring to the Old Testament saints who their salvation is completed at that point. And then finally to Jesus Christ, our savior. I mean, he's the one who makes it even possible for you and I to enter Mount Zion to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Remember Abel? Back in the book of Genesis? His blood, it spoke. What did it speak? Justice. It cried out for justice. Jesus Christ, his blood speaks too, but it speaks about mercy and forgiveness. So the point that the writer is trying to get across to these Hebrew believers is clear. Why would you want to settle for the old covenant of Mount Sinai when you have the glorious new covenant of Mount Zion? And then he says this, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. 
Listen, the children of Israel, they disobeyed God in the wilderness through unbelief. They didn't believe that he was going to deliver them. They were constantly doubting that God was going to take care of them. And so by doing that, they refused God who spoke to him. And as a result, man, almost an entire generation saved two people. Almost an entire generation of the wilderness were judged and were died in the wilderness. Well, the Hebrew, the writer here, the apostle is saying God is speaking again to us in these last days through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm ahead. I'm behind myself here. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 2 verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Remember that in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. God's speaking these last days through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promising, yet once more I shake not only earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Listen, at Mount Sinai, God's voice spoke. It shook the mountain, and what did they do? The people trembled with fear. Well, there's a time coming, the writer says, when God's voice is not only going to shake the mountain, it's not, gonna sh not only going to shake the earth, all heaven, all creation is going to shake, heaven and earth. You know, even right now, God is shaking things up. Why is he doing it? That only the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Think about the changes that have been taking place. Our generation... The things that, you know, used to seem like kind of stable, it seemed like you could kind of depend. Man, it's being shaken. Our culture is being shaken. Certainly this country is being shaken here in the United States. But our generation, man, our own lives are being shaken. It begs the question, with all that shaking going on, <laughs> I'm thinking of a song, but with all that shaking going on, <laughs> Is your life built on sand or is it built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? Because everything in our lives that can be shaken will be shaken at some point. So what are you, what are you, what are you building on? Are you building on something solid? Are you building on the eternal? Are you building on your faith in Christ? Or are you building on, you know, whatever else? Things that eventually it's all going to burn. The Hebrew believers, they wanted to go back to Mount Sinai. They wanted to go back to the covenant of the law, to worship in the temple, what they could see and what they could experience. But what they didn't realize was a few years later, that was going to be gone. That was going to be shaken to its core. The Jewish people, they would no longer be able to offer sacrifices. For 2,000 plus years, they still can't. And so now the, 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 uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, you know, now, now they, they can't talk about the blood sacrifices. Why? Because there's, they can't do a sacrifice. So now they've kind of changed it. Well, you know, we just afflict our souls during that time. Of course, we know that pretty soon that there's going to be a third temple. There's a group in, in Israel right now that are there. I mean, they're ready. The Orthodox Jewish people that are just ready 
once they get permission to uh, once they get, once certain person comes on the scene and and makes some covenants and stuff man they're all set and once they can once they can build a temple they'll build the temple again you know, I'm, I'm anxious, not because I want to see people worshiping the temple, but when I see that kind of stuff coming and getting closer, it's like, okay, Lord, you're that much closer. You're the, the, your return for the church is that much closer. Well, verse 28, he says, Therefore, after talking about all this, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. Everything on this planet is going to be shaken. But Mount Zion, heavenly Mount Zion, will never be shaken. And finally, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, a fire can be dangerous. If you ignore a fire, you ignore it at your own peril. If you ignore the Lord Jesus Christ, you ignore Jesus at your own peril. So fire can be dangerous, but a fire is also necessary and it's beneficial. Man, a, a fire in, a, in the wilderness, a fire in, a, in, 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 you know, you're stranded out in the middle of somewhere in the wintertime, a fire can save your life. It can provide warmth, it can provide light, and it's also used to burn away all the junk, the dross in the refining process. Sometimes the Lord shakes things in our lives. It's not because he's out to get us. Not that because he, he's angry with us, but he's wanting to burn away those things that he knows that just, it's fluff in our lives. He wants to do a purifying work in our hearts and in our lives. And so for us, we have the choice too. We want Mount Zion or excuse me, Mount Sinai or Mount Zion? Do we want to exchange the tangible for the spiritual? Do we want to focus on sight? And I, mean, I, want, my, I want everything, you know, I just want to, my flesh has got to be fed, you know? Or do we walk by faith? The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So this was specifically for these readers, but I think there's plenty of application for you and I as well. What 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 is God? You know, He's going to shake these things. So, what am I focusing? What's going to remain in my life? What do I want to focus on? I want to focus on my faith with Christ. I want to focus on relationships. You know, I I, I just one thing that I've noticed. You know, is we've you know the older I get, the more friends we've lost. A lot of friends recently who've passed away. We've lost uh, saved and unsaved. Uh, we've lost family members. So you too as well. I mean, we just now lost someone in our fellowship. And one thing that I realize is that, you know, heaven is getting more and more real to me. And it's, getting, it's like, man, I know so many people that are there. It's gonna be a, it is going to be a reunion when we get there. But, you know, the focus on the fact that, you know, I, I, I should keep short accounts. First of all, I need to keep short accounts with the Lord. Right? I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't harbor sin. I can't, I can't keep hidden sin in my heart. I've got to deal with sin in my life. I, I want the Lord to purify me. I want him, to, I want him to, to burn away all that junk in my heart and in my life. I also want to keep short accounts with other people. 
I don't want to harbor any unforgiveness or anger or jealousy or anything like that. I, I, I want to keep a short accounts with the Lord and short accounts with people. And so why don't we stand up and let's pray and let's ask the Lord to just do that purifying work in our hearts this morning. I'll have the worship team come on back up.